had a fantastic Easter Sunday. And then it was nice to last week have uh, uh, Jim Knight, one of our elders up here, teaching on confession. And now I am back and looking forward to the next four weeks uh, of a new series that we are doing, dealing with women of the Bible, some of the heroes of the faith who, um, who are women. And uh, I'm just very excited about this series in particular. I didn't introduce myself already. My name is Trevor, and if you are new here, welcome. We hope that you meet God in our midst. Um, it's fine if you meet us, that's fantastic, but we hope that you would experience and encounter God. Um, if you're looking for a church that uh, seeks to preach the gospel, that believes the Bible, that makes disciples, that's who we aspire to be and who we are growing into every day. Um, we have community groups to get connected to, and you could uh, get connected to a community group if you're interested in that. Uh, we have opportunities to serve the, the community and the city. Um, we've got a men's ministry that's going well, a women's ministry that's going fantastic, a lot Lots of ways to get connected, and so if you're looking for a church, we'd love to have you. We do hope that you feel welcome here. All right, uh, with that, um, you hopefully you had a chance to open up to Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. We're going to read the story of Rahab, and if you don't know who that is, you will by the end of this morning, and hopefully you will be blessed by her story. Um, so this is Joshua chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Read with me. Uh, I'll read the text. Follow along with me as we go. This is Joshua 2, 1 through 21. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab. And lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction... 
And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your your way. The men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Heroes. We need heroes. Every society needs people to to point to, to say this is who we ought to aspire to be like. I don't know if you growing up um, had posters in your room. Um, I had posters in my room. I had this very famous poster of Michael Jordan with his hands sort of outstretched. I wanted to be like Mike. I had a giant poster as a high school student of Bruce Lee in my room. I, I don't know what posters you had in your room, but you may or may not have posters or pictures of people in your life that you would say, man, there's something about them that I aspire to be like, something about them that I find admirable. And over the course of the next four weeks, we're going to look at four women who I hope by the end of our journey together, you would consider putting a picture of them in your wall, maybe in your mind, in your Bible, I don't know, but you would consider them to be heroes of yours. Because the women we're going to spend time looking at are significant and important. In each of the women we're going to look at, and we'll look at four the next four weeks, two that are kind of familiar, two that maybe aren't. The two that are familiar will be Ruth and Esther. The two that are kind of unfamiliar will be Rahab this morning and then Lydia. But in each of these women, we will see how they responded when they were forced to choose where their loyalties really lie. 
And through them, we'll learn about God's character. We'll learn about how God cares for us, how he provides for us, how he protects us, how he intercedes for us, and how he calls us. And ultimately, all of these women will point us to Jesus and to the gospel. We start this morning with Rahab, an unlikely hero. In the book of Hebrews chapter 11, you get this sort of the, the hall of faith, right? You get all of these, you read Hebrews 11, it's like, by faith so-and-so did this, by faith so-and-so did that. And it's a list of all these people who've had great faith. And in Hebrews 11, there are two women named. The first woman is Sarah. And Sarah is famously known for being married to Abraham and, and in her very body, birthing out the nation of Israel. The other woman named in Hebrews chapter 11 is Rahab, whose body was used for a very different purpose. One woman founded the Hebrew people with her body. Another person, Rahab, her body sold for money. And for our, from our perspective, these women have nothing in common. But from God's perspective, they are both heroes because of their faith. So in Hebrews 11, Rahab is mentioned, and she's compared to Sarah. But it gets better, because in James chapter 2, Rahab is once again in the New Testament mentioned. But this time, not mentioned in comparison to Sarah, but mentioned compared to Abraham. We're told that Abraham, he had faith, and that his faith led to these works. And in the same way, we're told about Rahab, that Rahab had the kind of saving faith that produces good works. But there's more. When you're reading Matthew and you go through the genealogy of Jesus, his family tree, if you will, right there in Matthew chapter 1, you discover Rahab. The New Testament again and again says, don't miss Rahab. Don't sleep on Rahab. She is a hero. But the most important thing about Rahab is her Faith. Faith is the most important thing about any person. Without faith, Hebrews 11 says, it is impossible to please God. But not everything that is called faith is faith. And as I've been spending time with Rahab, I have just sort of been blown away by her faith. And it's encouraged me, and I hope together this morning it encourages you. So what kind of faith? did Rahab have? And this is what we'll look at together this morning. We've got four kinds or four sort of uh, kinds of faith. Uh, Rahab had courageous faith. She had complete faith. She had concerned faith. And she had covenant faith. This will serve as our outline this morning. Courageous faith, complete faith, concerned faith, and covenant faith. We'll begin our journey together by talking about her courageous faith. Rahab has courageous faith, faith in God when it is extraordinarily hard to do so. Jericho at the time is a, is the, is a sort of city-state that has a king, the king of Jericho. It's about nine acres, and if you've read the Bible, you famously know that it's wrapped around by a giant wall, two walls actually, walls that will come down after God's people will march around it in the chapters ahead in Joshua. 
Rahab lived on the wall. She would have been one of the first people you would encounter. Her home would be a common place for travelers to come and go and to get some of their desires met. Jericho was a city that was a part of Joshua, who is the leading God's people at the time. God's calling was for Joshua to lead God's people in the conquering of Canaan, and Jericho served as one city-state as a part of that movement. And Joshua, in preparation for what's going to come in Jericho, sends two spies. And those spies are to come on a reconnaissance mission. Their job is to learn about the city, its weak points, and learn about its people before the attack. And the two spies make their way into Canaan, and they encounter Rahab. And she's a prostitute. And by every indication, she is not the kind of person that we would expect is going to be a hero. If you're telling this story around the campfire and you say two spies encountered a prostitute, you do not think that she's going to be the hero of the story. But isn't that often the case with God? In our own lives, that God has a tendency of choosing the very people that we would not choose. That God often uses the foolish to shame the wise. He uses the weak to shame the strong. What matters most to God is availability, not certainly ability or notoriety because God sees what we do not see and so Rahab introduces us to the notion that it doesn't matter how the world sees you how God sees you and how you're available to him makes all the difference so Rahab takes in these spies and the king of Jericho hears about the spies, and goes looking for Rahab in verses 2 and 3. He knows that the spies went into Rahab's place. He knows they were seen with Rahab. But Rahab hides them, and she lies about hiding them. Now Rahab, as you know, she lives in Canaan. She lives under the king of Jericho. And when the king or the king's men knock on your door because they know that there were spies or foreigners who had come to look at the land who were last with you and are asked, where are they? She is presented now with a choice. And she chooses to become a traitor to her king in order to protect the spies that she's hiding upstairs. She lies. And now throughout history, people talk about Rahab and her very famous lie. The Bible never once says that her lying is morally good. The Bible teaches again and again that lying is a sin. But the point of Rahab's decision is not the question, is what she did sinful? We're highlighting an imperfect hero. Abraham was an imperfect hero. So was Isaac. So was David. Lying is always wrong, and the Bible teaches that. And just being in the Bible doesn't mean approved by the Bible. I hope that you understand that. But Rahab does not lie for her own benefit. When is it acceptable or appropriate to lie? Well, the answer is kind of never is it morally good. But I do like this. If your choice is between lying 
um, and, and, uh, and keeping these people from killing God's people or telling the truth and resulting in their death. If you're stuck between a rock and the hard place, I think the answer is always do the one that gives greater glory to God. That's probably the way that I think you'd want to make that decision. Which one of these two things that are wrong may result in God's greater glory? She puts everything on the line by hiding these spies. And it took tremendous courage. Rahab will tell you that in Canaan, in Jericho, people know what happened with Israel. They know about the Red Sea. They know about how this small army was able to sort of deal with these larger kings. They, they know that they're coming. And yet, everyone around her is standing in opposition to God. And she had to make a choice, Rahab did. Will I align myself with my culture or will I align myself with the Lord? And she chooses not to align herself with her culture, not to align herself with her king, not to align herself with her neighbors, but she chooses to align herself with the Lord. And because she did that, we're still talking about Rahab as a hero today. What about you? Who are you aligning yourself with? Sometimes as a Christian, you are going to be put in a scenario where you're going to have to choose between Christ or the crowd. Between the Lord or popularity. Between faithfulness to God or notoriety amongst your peers. And Rahab aligned herself with God. She did not choose the crowd. She didn't choose popularity. She chose God and she did it by herself. It's a reality that as a Christian, sometimes you will find yourself by yourself. And Rahab aligned herself with God, not with her culture. The king's men are knocking at the door, and she put it all on the line. Why? We'll see that in a moment. But it takes tremendous courage for her to, in the face of her neighbors and peers and king, to say, I'm going to stand with God and not with my culture. Courage is the determination to do what it is that you fear doing. When we want courage and we desire courage, it's not that fear goes away. Rahab must have been terrified when she opened the door. But courage is doing what you know is the right thing to do even when you are afraid to do so. Let me ask you this morning, who are you aligned with in your life and where do you need some realignment? Secondly, she had complete faith. Not just courageous faith, but complete faith. She tells us why she has hid those two spies on the rooftop. She tells us in verses 8 through 11. She says in verse 9, she goes up to them on the roof and she says, because you're kind of waiting, why did she do this? She says in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us 
and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She heard about what God had done. So had everybody. She heard about the miracles. She heard about how, what God was doing, but not everybody around her responded to God. Canaan had heard, she says, Canaan had heard, and they were in fear. She says they had known, but she heard, and she decided to act on what she knew was true and what she believed is true, and she gives this confession. I know your God. I know what he did. I know who he is. I know he can work on behalf of those who trust him. I know that he is the God of heaven and of earth. A Canaanite prostitute professing great faith in God. And her, her faith affects her whole being. Real, complete faith involves the whole person. You want to know how you have real faith? It ought to affect your intellect, your emotions, and your will. It's not just one of those parts. So it's not just mind alone. Faith, Christian faith is not just, well, I, I, I don't really believe this, but I'm going to convince myself that it's true, even though I know that it isn't. It's not just intellect, right? It's not just emotions. It's not just, I feel that it's true, so it must be true. It's not just a courageous act. It's not just, I'm going to give myself blindly over to something that I don't actually believe. It's our whole being. Imagine a woman. Imagine a woman who has very intellectual faith. And she can talk about all of the theology and all of the religious and philosophical issues of the day. But there's no changes happening in the way that she behaves. There's no real growth of love and joy and peace. It's just intellectual. Or imagine a man a man who has got an emotional faith, and he gets so excited. Like, every time we sing, he cries, and he's just so moved all the time by all of the emotion, tears during worship. He just always gets thrilled. But again, there's no change in his life. He's not growing in his knowledge of God. It doesn't actually impact him once he leaves the worship service. Or imagine someone else who has a kind of volitional faith, right? A person who's disciplined in everything they do. But there's no personal relationship. There's no joy. There's no surprise. Everything's very mechanical. No warmth. No sense of the presence of God working in his life. No sense that he's being shaped day in and day out. Real, complete faith is all three mind convinced, emotions stirred, and then our wills acting in obedience to God. Rahab knew who God was. She had heard about him. She knew who God was and what God was doing. She was in fear. Her heart melted, and then she acted in obedience to protect the spies. This is real faith. It's not complete knowledge, by the way. I hope you noticed that. Rahab doesn't know a lot. 
It's not complete emotions. She doesn't feel everything. Nor am I calling you to say that it's only real faith if you're feeling all the feelings all the time. What I'm saying is what she knew, she felt, what she felt, she acted on. She had a little knowledge, she acted on it, and God saved her. The way that you can be sure that you have real, complete faith as a Christian is if your lives show the fruit of that faith, if your mind has been corrected and our attitude towards our sin has changed and our desires have changed and our behavior is changing, if you're looking at that in your life, you can know you have real faith. But if it's just intellectual or if it's just emotional or if it's just blind obedience... You ought to examine yourself. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Rahab showed a changed life. She was unworthy of being saved, and yet by God's grace she was, because she had a complete faith. What about you? Do you have real faith? Have you you felt the truth of what it is that you believe? Are you acting on it or seeking to do so? How is your life different? If your life is not different, pray that the Lord would give you real faith. Third, Rahab has concerned faith. She's not just concerned about her own well-being. Notice that Rahab's first inclination is a desire to rescue her family. In the New Testament, we see Andrew, and when Andrew becomes a follower of Jesus, he immediately tells his brother Simon. The cleansed leper, after being cleansed, immediately wants to tell everybody. Here we see that Rahab's faith isn't just about her. She has a desire, obviously, that she would be saved. When those walls of Jericho come crumbling down, and she believes that will happen because she believes God is God, She wants to know that not only is she going to be okay, but she wants her family to be okay as well. And as I was reflecting on Rahab, I wondered how often our individualism in our culture means that we are comfortable having faith for ourselves, but often losing the passion or the desire to see other people come to know the salvation that we have tasted. Charles Spurgeon once said, Have you no wish for others to be saved? then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. If you don't have a desire to see other people be rescued, to taste of salvation, to be forgiven, to know and encounter God, to receive his joy and his peace, if you don't desire that for others, there's a chance that maybe you haven't tasted of it yourself. Rahab wanted a guarantee that her family would be safe. And the spies give it to her. They give it to her by giving their word and they guarantee their lives on their word. They made themselves guarantors. Our lives on this promise. But they say to Rahab, they say, Rahab, you can't say anything to anybody but your family. If Rahab talked, they wouldn't get saved. If we talk, others get saved. It's a nice role reversal from us and Rahab. We are invited by God into the process of sharing the good news of Jesus, resulting in the salvation of others. Her heart was for the rescue of her family. Now, 
Evangelism is important to the church. The sharing of the Christian message is important to who we are. But I want to make sure that you understand that evangelism, true evangelism, always desires the person that you are praying for and witnessing to and loving and caring for. It desires their salvation. It does not solely desire that they would admit you're right. I hope you see the difference. I worry that the Christian reputation is that the Christians are those who are going around and their primary posture is they want to show the world how right they are and how wrong everyone else is. You don't win over anybody by the posture of saying, hey, I'd like to tell you how right I am and how wrong you are. Not a very effective mechanism, right? The most effective mechanism is, hey, let me tell you about what I've experienced and the goodness of God, and I desire, because I have to, I desire that you would experience it too. That's the heartbeat of evangelism, that we'd be a people who would know God and would see other people the way God sees them, and our desire would be their salvation, not just that they would stand and be like, you're right. I saw that post you made on Facebook. You were right. That's not the goal. Sometimes you're on social media. This drives me crazy, right? And you're on social media and you'll see these, um, these influencer ads, right? You'll see a person and they're like, oh, like, uh, I always drink this fourth brand of energy drink on Tuesdays. It's the greatest thing ever. And, like, it's very clear they're trying to sell you it. And it's very clear that they actually don't drink it. And you're like, no one's trying to buy. No one's interested if you're trying to peddle something that you aren't currently experiencing. One of the best ways to start sharing your faith is making sure that you are actually pursuing holiness first. Sorry, a little bit of tangent. But I just think, like, we just, it just drives me bananas, right? Like, the idea of, like, telling people, you need this, you need this, you need this. But if your life looks at all like you are not interested in it in the least, if God is not transforming your life in any way, shape, or form, why would anyone believe that the God you're pointing to is real? Concerned faith, concerned for the well-being of others. Fourthly and finally, covenant faith. Rahab has covenant faith. A covenant in the Bible is an agreement. And Rahab makes this agreement with the spies. And they don't know all the details of, the sort of, of, of how this is all going to go down. In the Bible, covenants normally have these um, pictures associated with them. So we think of like uh, circumcision is a, is a part of the Abrahamic covenant. Or the rainbow is a part of the Noadic covenant. Um, or Jesus, bread and wine, the table, is part of the new covenant. Um, for Rahab, this covenant that she makes is to deal with the scarlet rope. Remember, she lives kind of on the outside of the wall, so she sets up this rope, and they're to climb down, and, uh, and they say, leave that rope up, that scarlet rope. It marked her house as a safe zone. And I, and I want you to see something about Rahab and the scarlet rope and the agreement that she makes. This is important. Um, Rahab makes this agreement after she already has faith. So um, Rahab says, I have faith, and then she makes this agreement for her family's safety. Um, faith first, and then the agreement. I point that out because we often do the opposite. We often start with, God, 
do this thing, and then I'll have faith. God, I would love to be more generous. Give me more money, and then I will be more generous. God, I would love to be more, I'd love to do more great things for you. Uh, Give me the promotion, and then when I'm at a particular level in my career, then I'll do those things I said, right? Like we like to say, God, first you give me, and then I'll have faith. But with Rahab, she shows us that God wants our faith first. The the scarlet rope marks out the faith she already has. And so one of the things we need to begin to do is we need to begin to recognize that our posture before God needs to shift from, God, you do this and then I'll have faith, to being the kind of people who say, you know what, God? I have faith in you and I'm going to move in obedience before you give me the thing that I want. To do it the other way is kind of backwards Christianity. Rahab lets the spies down. She leaves the rope out. And later on in the book of Joshua, when they're walking around the Jericho and the walls crumble down, we know that there's a part of the wall that does not crumble. And in that part of the wall sits Rahab and her family. She is rescued. And she believed in faith. She believed in faith first before she made this agreement. Let me, let me ask you, are you in any area of your life asking God to prove himself to you first? Are you willing this morning to say to the Lord, your God, God, I'm going to trust you in advance. I'm going to trust you before Rahab's faith, courageous, complete, concerned, and covenant. There is a lot to learn from this Canaanite prostitute. But I want to close by just pointing through Rahab, ultimately, to Jesus. The more I was in this text this week, the more it became clear to me that nobody is out of the reach of God's grace. God reaches out and saves a prostitute who turns to him in faith. Think of all the men that she slept with, all the brokenness in her home. Think of the way that her reputation was tarnished and toiled. Think about all of the sin. And God says to Rahab, I know everything about her past, and it does not matter because she believes and trusts in me. Think of your sin. Some of you in this room right now might feel completely unworthy to be in the presence of God. Unworthy to be forgiven, unworthy to be saved, unworthy to be rescued. If that's you, I have great news for, me, for you. Only unworthy people go to heaven. The people who think they're worthy end up in hell. So if you've been sleeping around or failing or making one awful mistake after another, I've got good news for you. Your sin makes you a perfect candidate for salvation. And if God can save Rahab, he can save anyone, and that includes you. It's better to be Rahab the prostitute on your way to heaven than to be some self-righteous Sandra on your way to hell. 
So this message of Rahab is a message of hope for all of us. Because it says the worse you feel about yourself, the more hope you can find in Rahab. Because there's no pit so deep that the love of God is not even deeper. No sin so terrible that Jesus cannot forgive it. Even if you don't know very much, take heart. Rahab knew very little. And yet she was saved. You ever wonder, how much do I need to know to be saved? Well, apparently it's not about how much faith you have or knowledge you have. It's where your faith is placed. Rahab knew enough to know that the God of the Israelites was the one true God. And her faith caused her to welcome the spies and then send them on their way. And her faith caused her to hang a scarlet cord out of her window. She knew so little, but she's a hero. The book of Hebrews says, by faith, Rahab. Look at Rahab. Look at her faith. And Rahab the prostitute made Jesus' family tree. And if you know Jesus, someday you will meet Rahab in heaven. And when you meet her, she will not be Rahab the prostitute. She will be Rahab, princess, daughter of the king. God loves saving sinners. So let every sinner take heart and come running to Jesus this morning. Heaven rejoices when we repent and come to Jesus. Rahab proves it, and you can prove it too by coming to Christ this morning. Do not let your past keep you away. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Your sins will be forgiven. You will be saved. And your life will never be the same. May each and every one of us have the faith that Rahab the prostitute had. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Rahab Lord, if we were just reading through scripture, we may have missed her story. We may have missed the ways in which you bring redemption to her and her family. We may have not seen her for the hero that she is. And so, Lord, as we just pause as a church this morning to lift up this woman of incredible faith, may we all aspire to have her faith. May our faith be courageous that we would align ourselves with you and not with our culture. May our faith be complete, mind, emotions, will, all working in conjunction. May our faith result in concern for the salvation and lives of others that you have placed in our midst. And may the covenants that you made with us and the kinds of agreements we often seek to make with you emerge not on the other side of faith, May faith become the first thing that we turn and trust you with. Lord, we want to trust you in advance. You are worthy of being trusted in advance. So help us with our jobs, with our homes, with our lives, with our relationships, with our family, with our sins, with our struggles, with our provision, our worries, and our anxieties. Let us trust you in advance, for you are worthy. And I pray that if anyone's here this morning who feels as though they are unworthy, I pray they would know that this morning you extend an invitation to new life with you, peace with you, peace forever, starting today. It's great news, Father.
We thank you that you remind us of it again and again as we gather on Sundays. It's in your name we pray. Amen.